Church, as we begin, why don't we welcome those who are maybe watching online and through our listening to our podcast and just say, if you're ever in our area, just feel free to come and visit one of our churches. Come on, church, give them a big welcome, those who are watching from different parts of the world. Great to have you joining us. So we're beginning our Easter series on this Good Friday called Simply A New Life. Recently, I was handed an old Book. In fact, it was so old it made my hands itch as I was reading the, uh, the pages and the dust and stuff that was uh, on it. But it was a book by a guy named Max Licato. I don't know if that's how you say his name, but that's how I say it. And it was called He Chose the Nails. The second chapter in the book caught my attention. As I opened it, I was immediately drawn to the book because... It started, if you're a parent here today and you have children, you uh, no doubt know that there has been a new Beauty and the Beast released right across cinemas just in time for the school holidays. And as I opened the second chapter, I, I saw the words Beauty and the Beast and Max begin to outline a story around that tale. And I want to share a bit of it. It grabbed my heart and I want to share a bit of it today and I want to just say this as I, as I do this, stick with me. Because as I walk through this journey with you, there's going to be some ouch moments. There's going to be some moments where you go, oh, did, did, Marlon, did the preacher just say that? Did he just say that? Is he talking about me? Is he talking about us? There's going to be some ouch moments. All of you are really excited about that. <laughs> But, but, uh, but this, this is my hope that as we understand what is being said here, as we get to the end while I'm praying, is that there would be a light bulb moment. A moment where you suddenly go, I get this. I understand this. And that's why I can, I, I, I can sing, I'm free indeed. Yeah. Oh, yes, I'm free indeed. No chains are holding me. Come on, somebody. That's what I'm hoping. <laughs> Otherwise, it's just going to be a whole lot of letters. People are writing to me. How can you say that, Pastor? So, Lord, bless this word. Let it touch our hearts and move our lives. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. See, the author asked this question. He said, have you ever wondered what would have happened to the beast if beauty hadn't appeared? What would have happened to the beast if beauty hadn't appeared? You know the story. There was a time when his face was handsome and his palace was pleasant. But that was a time before the curse. That was a time before the shadows fell on the castle of the prince, before the shadows fell on the heart of the prince. And if you know the story, when darkness fell, he hid, secluded in his castle. All that was left was a, 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 a glistening snout and big tusks and a bad mood. But all that changed when the girl came. When beauty appeared. But I wonder, what 
would have happened to the beast if beauty hadn't appeared? Better yet, what would have happened if she hadn't have even cared? I mean, who, who would have blamed her if she hadn't? I mean, he was, he was such a, a, a beast. He was hairy. He was drooling. He was angry. I mean, who would have, who would have blamed her? Who, who would have blamed her if she hadn't cared? If beauty hadn't cared, who would have blamed her? But the thing is, she did care. She did care. And because the beauty loved the beast, the beast became more beautiful. See, the story's familiar, not just because it's a fairy tale. It's familiar because it reminds us of ourselves. There is a beast within each one of us. It wasn't always so. There was a time when when humanity's face was beautiful and his palace pleasant. But that was before the curse. Before the shadow fell across the garden of Adam. Before the shadow fell across the heart of Adam. And ever since the curse, we've been different. Beastly. Ugly. Ouch. Defiant. Angry. We do things we know we shouldn't do, and then we wonder why we do them. The ugly part of me showed up the other day. It was a sunny day. I live out just by the lakes over there. And it was a Friday night, I think it was. I think it was, a, it was getting ready. And youth was, I, I, I don't know whether these were kids who came to youth or whatever. But I, I, I came back. Yes, the ugly side, the beastly side. I, I pulled into my driveway and. I looked across Tara, our children's pastor, was there. And I, I saw these kids out there. We have these special sort of causeways to help with flooding. You know, it can flood. We've been hearing about that on the news. And there were these young youth guys taking the rocks of this carefully manicured causeway, pulling them out of the causeway and chucking them into the lake. I came upstairs and I... I saw them, and Tara, our children's pastor, said, yeah, I've yelled out there to them and told them to stop, but they aren't stopping. And so, you know, a part of me, my blood started to boil, and I started getting mad because this isn't the first time this has happened. And so anyway, I, 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 I'm looking at this going, what should I do? Shall I get on my uh, cycle and ride around? Because I've done that before. I'm like, no, that's way too much work way too much work. I've got to get it out of the garage. I've got to get it up and put my helmet on and do that type of, type of thing. So I just decided, <laughs> Pastor Adam just decided, man of the cloth just decided, I'm going to scream at them. I forgot about my neighbors that they might be watching me. 
And so I went out and I went on to the balcony and I said, Hey, you kids, stop that. That's private property because it's private property. I mean, I was going to throw whatever I could to stop them. It's private property. You stop doing that and get off. And they stopped for a moment. And they're like, you know, is that guy serious? Who is that guy? It's me. <laughs> and I thought that stopped. But then one little, no, I can't say it. <laughs> Way over there, he went and picked up one last drop. And he was just like, I was like, don't be a I can't even say it was a four-letter word. I don't it wasn't that four-letter word, but it was bad enough. And then I the beast came out in me. I did that in front of our children's pastor. <laughs> My wife was there. I mean, I mean, she's seen all sides of me, but. <laughs> that wasn't in my notes. <laughs> the children's pastor there, and then I'm suddenly thinking, oh, the neighbors are going to be hearing this. And suddenly conviction became, started to manifest in my life. The Holy Spirit started to. To speak, and I, I, I started to ask the question, why did I do that? I mean, my blood was, I, I mean, my blood was boiling. If that had been there, I might have done something worse. But I'm normally a, quite a relaxed guy. I'm normally quite a, a, a chill guy. But, but for five long minutes, I became a beast. Am I not a man of the cloth? Am I not meant to be a courier of compassion? An ambassador of peace? A pastor? I mean, I'm just keeping it real, people. I got issues, and don't you look at me like that, because I know you got issues too. Come on, just keeping it real. Ask myself the question, why did I do that? But what did comfort me in all of that is the fact that I'm, I, I'm not alone in asking that question. Even, even the Apostle Paul had similar struggles. In Romans 7 verse 15, Paul said this. He says, I do not do what I want to do, and I do the things I hate. Ever felt like saying those words? If you have, you're in good company. Paul isn't the only person in the Bible who has wrestled with the beast within. It's hard to find a page in Scripture where the animal doesn't bear its teeth. King Saul chasing young David with a spear. Shechem raping Dinah, Dinah's brothers then murdering Shechem and his friends. Herod murdering the Bethlehem toddlers. Another Herod cutting off the head of Jesus' cousin. 
If the Bible is called the good book, it is not because the people in it are good. Someone said, blood runs as freely through the stories as the ink through the quills that pen them. But the evil of the beast was never so raw as it was on the day Christ died. The disciples were fast asleep, then fast afoot. Jesus said, could you pray with me? They said they couldn't even do it for one hour. When he was arrested, they fled. They ran off and deserted him. Herod, he wanted a show. He wanted to see, come on, do some miracles for me. Give me a little magic show. I want to see what you can do. Pilate washed his hands of it and said, okay, I know this isn't right. I know this is wrong, but I wash my hands of it. And the soldiers, they wanted blood. So they scourged Jesus. My Jesus. And the legionnaire's whip consisted of leather straps with lead balls on each. The punisher's goal was singular. Beat the accused within an inch of death. And then stop. Thirty-nine lashes were allowed but seldom needed. And no doubt Jesus was near death when his hands were untied and he dropped to the ground. Now the whipping was the first deed of the soldiers and the crucifixion was the third. Though his back was ribboned with wounds, the soldiers loaded the crossbeam on Jesus' shoulders and marched him to the place of a skull and executed him. But here's the thing, we don't fault the soldiers for those two actions. They were just following orders. But what is hard to understand is what they did in between that. Matthew, he describes it like this. Jesus was beaten with whips and handed over to the soldiers to be crucified. The governor's soldiers took Jesus into the governor's palace and they all gathered around him. They took off his clothes and put a red robe on him. Using thorny branches, they made a crown. They put it on his head and put a stick in his right hand. Then the soldiers bowed before Jesus and made fun of him. Made fun of him. A man who was about to die, they made fun of him. Saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spat on Jesus. They spat on him. Then they took his stick and they began to beat him on the head. And after they finished, the soldiers took off the robe, put his own clothes on him again. And then they led him away to be crucified. Friends, you see, the soldier's assignment was simple. Take the Nazarene to the hill and kill him. But they had... Another idea, they, they wanted to have some fun first. Strong, rested, armed soldiers encircled an exhausted, nearly dead Galilean carpenter. 
and beat up on him. See, the scourging was commanded. The crucifixion was ordered. But who would draw pleasure out of spitting on a half-dead man? See, here's the thing about spitting. It isn't intended to hurt the body. It can't. Spitting is intended to degrade the soul, and it does. What were the soldiers doing? Were they not elevating themselves at the expense of another? They felt big by making Christ feel small. Ever done that? Maybe you've never spit on anyone. But have you ever gossiped or slandered? Have you ever raised your hand in anger or rolled your eyes in arrogance? Ever made someone feel bad so you can feel good? Well, that's what the soldiers did to Jesus. And when you and I do the same, we do it to Jesus too. In Matthew 25 verse 40, it says this, Jesus said, I assure you, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Simply put, how we treat others is how we treat Jesus. I didn't say it. Jesus said it. We must face the fact that there is something beastly within every one of us. Something beastly that makes us do things that surprise even us. You ever surprised yourself by something you've done? Haven't you ever stopped after doing an act or doing something that you know is not as right, no, not as, was not right, and, and asked the question, what got into me? What got into me? I have. What got into me? The Bible has a three-letter answer for that question, S-I-N. Sin. There is something bad or, or beastly within each of us. And we are, it says in Ephesians 2, 3, by nature, children of wrath. It's not that we can't do good. We do. It's just that we can't keep from doing bad. Isn't that the truth? In theological terms, the Bible would put it like this. We are totally depraved. Though made in God's image, we have fallen. We are corrupt to the core. The very center of our being is selfish and perverse. David said, I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. And could any of us say any less? Each of us was born, we know it, 
with a tendency to sin. Scripture says it plainly. Isaiah 53, 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The heart is deceitful, the prophet Jeremiah said. Above all things and beyond all cure, who can understand it? In Romans it says, there is no one righteous. No, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And there might be some here who would say, well, these are very strong words, pastor. These are very strong words. They look, look around and say, compared to everyone else, I'm a, I'm a decent person. Don't write me a letter. But the pig in the trough might say something similar. He might look at his trough partners and announce, I'm just as clean as everyone else. But compared to humans, however, that pig needs help. Compared to God, we humans need the same. Come on. The standard for sinlessness isn't found at the pig troughs of the earth, but at the throne of heaven, somebody. God himself is the standard. As the French SS said, there is no man so good who were he to submit all his thoughts and actions, all that he dreams about, all that he thinks about, if he would submit all his thoughts and actions to the laws, would not deserve hanging ten times in his life. Our deeds are ugly. Our actions are harsh. We don't do what we want to do, and we don't like what we do. What's hard is the fact that we can't change. Or we try, but can a leopard change its spots? In the same way, the prophet said, Jerusalem, you cannot change and do, do good because you are accustomed to doing evil. The apostle Paul agreed with the prophet Jeremiah. He said, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Still disagree? Still think this is too harsh? If so, accept this challenge. For the next 24 hours, lead a sinless life. Not asking for a perfect life. I'm not even asking for a year. I'm not even asking for a day. Just for, 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 for one hour. 24 hours. If you can't do 24 hours, do, do one hour. One hour. Keep it pure. Keep it real. Can we even do one hour like that? I can't. And we have a problem. We are not holy. The Bible says in Hebrews, anyone whose life is not holy will never see the Lord. We have a problem, and the problem is that we are evil, and evil people are paid, it says in Proverbs 10, 16, with punishment. 
the worship team come? Singers, everybody. So what can we do? What can we do? We allow the spit of the soldiers. Allow the spit of the soldiers to symbolize the filth in our hearts. Allow the spit of the soldiers to symbolize the beast in our hearts. And then observe what Jesus does with our filth. He carries it to the cross. Though the prophet, through the prophet, he said, I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Mingled with his blood and sweat was the essence of your sin. The essence of my sin. God could have deemed otherwise. In God's plan, Jesus was offered wine at the cross. Why not a towel for his face? That he could mop the cheek of Jesus. For some reason, the one who chose the nails also chose the saliva along with the spear and the sponge of man. Jesus bore the spit of man. Why? Why? Could it be that he sees the beauty within the beast? Could it be that when he looks at mankind, he can see the beauty within the beast. See, here's where the correlation with, it, with beauty and the beast ends because in, in, the, in the fable, beauty kisses the beast. But in the Bible, beauty does much, much more. He becomes the beast. Beauty becomes the beast so that the beast can become the beauty. Jesus changes places with us. We, like Adam, were under a curse. But Jesus, but Jesus, we, like Adam, were under, under a curse. There was no way out. There was no way of getting through. There was no way we could break out. We, the, the, we, we, like Adam, were under a curse. But Jesus, 
Jesus came and changed everything. But Jesus changed places with us, says in Galatians 3.30. He changed places with us and put himself under a curse. What if beauty had not come? What if beauty had not come? Worse still, what if, what if beauty had not cared? And we would have remained a beast. But beauty did come. And beauty did care. The sinless one took on the face of the sinner so the sinner could take on the face of a saint. Beauty came. Beauty cared. We can know freedom. Second Corinthians 5 verse 21 in the message version. It says, God put the wrong on him who never did anything wrong. So we, so we could be put right with God. God put the wrong on him who never did anything wrong. So we could be, so you could be, so I could be. Put right with God. I don't know what you're carrying. I don't know what tusks you're showing. I don't know what anger you're carrying. But what I do know is that beauty appeared. And when beauty appeared, the beast became more beautiful. Would you allow Christ into your life? Would you allow Christ to change you? God put the wrong on him who never did anything wrong, so we, you, I, could be put right with God. Jesus did this. That's why Jesus said, He who the Son sets free isn't a little bit free. Oh yeah, you've got a bit of freedom. See, you've got to understand this because I can tell there are people carrying stuff. They're carrying things they don't need to carry. They haven't understood what, 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 what Christ has done. They're saying, oh, Pastor, I'm, I'm bad. I, I, we, friend, I want to tell you, we all know and understand the peace within. We all understand that we've got this propensity in us towards evil. But I want to tell you, beauty came and beauty cared. And he's available for you today to do the same, to transform your life if you would allow him. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. That's why I can sing that song. I'm free indeed. Yes, I'm free indeed. No chains are holding me. See, it's not dependent on me. I can't change. 
It's not dependent on what I can do. I can't make any bit of difference. I've tried to be good. You have too. Come on, you know it. I got issues. You got issues. We all got issues. We've tried. I mean, we can turn up here and look holier than we really are. Come on. We can put our spiritual makeup on and look good, but we have struggles, we have pain, we have doubts, we have, come on, I'm preaching better than your response. We have fears, we have all of these things going on. We can't do it. He did it on the cross on that day. 2,000 years ago. That's why I can sing. I'm free indeed. That's why you can sing. I'm free indeed. Stop playing that song. I don't even know if you're playing that song. I think that's a good one to play. I want you to grab that. That's not why I can. Just I can sing. When you can sing. We're not singing a ditty. I'm free indeed. I'm free indeed. Oh, I'm free indeed. Oh, I'm free indeed. No chains are holding me. That's who I'm called to be. Come on, somebody.